Welcome to the Cedar House Church Sermon of the Week. In today's message, Landon Snow shares from his journey about overcoming the fear of man. I didn't start a church for church. You know, I started church for a place for people and myself to be around the presence of God, which is the central theme of everything we're doing and the purpose of what we're doing. And Stacy said it when she was praying. She was like, this is all really silly if he's not here. And I'm, I'm just more and more convinced of that. There's, there's only so much effectiveness we can have as a bunch of humans coming together talking about a God. Um, and so whatever we need to be doing to strategize, to uh, foster an environment where God's in the room, that, that's, that's the goal. And we... Started the church on that. We just want to continue down that. It says it's built for his presence. Cedar House built for his presence. So it was just really good for us to just kind of get back into the mold of of kind of why we're doing what we're doing. And then as we were coming back, like 15 people from the church were going to Dallas. So we we traded. There was a conference there this weekend um, that Bethel put on, which was really cool. So... We've, we've had fun connection with Dallas. Well, I've um, kind of had a message on my heart uh, along with the community series, and I felt like this week God kind of shifted that. Um, and so I just bring you a message that is completely outside of community today, but something that's just been on my heart and something that uh, I have a PhD in and something that has been a part of my history my whole life and has recently really, really reared its ugly head back up, and that is the fear of man. So I'm going to talk to you about the fear of man, but not just the fear of man, but a couple ways to overcome the fear of man, and what is it, and how are we supposed to overcome it. So I'm going to give you my story in a second about um, the fear of man and my struggle with that battle. Um, you know, if we're being honest, all of us struggle with this. We, we all carry, we all, we all care more about people think about us than we should. Can we be honest? Um, we, all, we all struggle with this issue of, oh no, what do people think of me? So the fear of man is basically when you care about what someone else thinks more than what God thinks. The fear of man is when you feel like God has prompted something on your heart to do and you go through a checklist in your mind of what would these people think before I did that task, before I took that job, before I had that relationship. Whatever the thing is, that that check that we all get in our heart of, oh no, what would my parents think? What would my friends think? What would this person think? So on and so forth. That regard for what other people think, weighing into our decision-making, is the fear of man. And basically it's an idol and an idol is anything that you have to check. An idol is anything you put before you and God that you have to check with before you say yes to God. And all throughout the Bible, God's very serious about getting rid of idols. And I think this is just a really, really big one for us, specifically in the Christian community. Um, as believers, it is really easy to fall in this trap of using Christian terms to cover up the fear of man. I'm, this is a sermon to myself today, so um, I, I'm a professional at this. You know, it's out of, out of wanting to exercise wisdom 
or compassion, or I'm waiting on God, or I'm praying about a situation, when the truth is I'm just scared of what people would think if I just did what I felt like God told me to do. Um, I heard someone say that the fear of man is the most permissible sin in the church. <clears throat> and it's, it's practical. The fear of man is practical, so it's relatable. So we can get together with each other, and we can say things like, man, I wanted to do it, but I didn't do it. And, you know, I just was kind of on the fence, and fear kind of took over. And it's so relatable that our neighbor or your friend would say, yeah, I was dealing with that same thing. And a lot of times, which, again, I'm guilty of this, it just stops there. And it's like, okay, so how do we get to a place where we can overcome this thing called the fear of man and go to the next level? See, God is looking for our yes. And, and technically, when you got saved, when you got converted, your yes was a blank contract, and you just said yes to God. And anytime God gives you a direction or an aim, and you have to go through a checklist of people that you're nervous about what they think about your decision-making or what you're going to do, that's the fear of man. That, that will always get us to live in reaction to what God is doing. So when you react to an error, you end up in an error. So if, I'm re, if, I'm rea- if God tells me to do something, but I'm reacting to what someone else says, I'm no longer doing what God's telling me to do. Now I'm off over here. So giving God our devotion, giving God our singular yes, is the desire of the Christian life. Is that good? Yeah, half the people are putting on shirts and things. Um, so giving God this yes, when God says something, just saying yes to him and executing, it's, I, I don't like, there's so many facets of God, I don't mean this in a heartless way, but, it, but it's militant. It really is like, I said yes, I'm moving forward, this is what I'm doing, um, I'm not living in response to people, I already gave God my yes. I don't need to check with other people, I say yes to what God is doing. Um, Paul talks about this in a couple different places in the New Testament, of being militant with, basically with your yes. Saying yes to God like a good soldier and moving forward. So there's a story in the Old Testament about Joshua and Caleb. Who loves Joshua and Caleb? That's a good story, isn't it? Okay, so I'm going to paraphrase a lot here just to get to the point. So um, God chose a group of people, and these group, this group of people came from a man named Israel. God called this nation Israel. It's about 1.1 to 1.5 million people. They were caught in captivity in Egypt. They were slaves. So it's really cool how God just chose a group of people and took them through a process. In this process, through a slew of issues, they ended up in slavery. God used Moses to go get all these people and pull them out of slavery. This is where the plagues came and all those crazy Old Testament stories. When they come out, God had a promised land for them. And in this promised land, God told them what would be there. And he, he described it for them. And he said, <clears throat> oh man, I'm about to start crying, talking about the promised land. We haven't even got started. Um, um, he, he described to them a place that was flowing with milk and honey, and basically that you would thrive there. And one of the descriptions he uses is that your children, 
You guys okay if I go slow and just weep through this? Your, your children and your children's children would know who God is and they would basically thrive and the land would yield high return. And, and God would be God with these people. This was the promised land, and, but they're all in slavery. And so Moses gets them out and there's this journey between slavery and this promised land um, that the Bible refers to as the desert. And they journeyed in the desert for like 40 years. Not for like for 40 years. It was like 40 years, meaning 40 years. Um, and they get to the, they're, they're right up bud next to the land where they're going to go. And it's time to take the land. Now this is promised from God, what was going to happen. They knew what was coming from generation to generation. God had displayed himself literally daily through miracles. In, the new, in, in, in Fort Israel, every single day, supernatural food, water, shade would just appear. It was a, a culture filled with miracles. They knew what God had said. They get up next to it. And Moses is like, okay, let's send spies into the promised land. And it was led by Joshua and Caleb. So they go to the promised land. They come back and it's like, okay, tell us what you saw. And they report back what they saw. So part of the report was, it's milk and honey. This is a place where our kids can thrive. This is incredible. They, they brought back fruit to show everyone from the promised land. The Bible says that men had to carry it on their shoulders. Theologians would say there was potentially 19-pound grapes in the promised land, which is it's a lot of fruit. Um, so they get back there, and everyone's excited, and then murmuring starts coming from some of the spies. It was, but there's also giants in the land. And their response was, we're like grasshoppers. We're like grasshoppers to them. What, what are we going to do? So they, they knew what God had said. They had a promise. They saw the promise. But in the promised land were giants. So what, what happens is at every level that you go to in God, there will be giants in your promised land. It's you, you, God will, at every level, there's a new phase of giant. The Christian life is about advancing. We're not going to hit a retiring point in the Christian life. We don't hit a plateau. So you having giants in your promised land is a good thing. Okay, for our culture for who we are as a community, specifically in society today, I think the fear of man is the giant in the promised land. And for us to see the revival that we want to see, for us to have the, the tangible presence of God, that I know that, trust me, you're not coming to Cedar House Church on a Sunday night at another church service for fun. You're here because God's here, and we want God to be here, right? <laughs> um and so for us to do that, overcoming the fear of man, it is a giant, but Israel ended up winning, and they defeated the giants. And I'm, I'm convinced that in today's terms for being overcoming and taking the land, taking the promise, I think the biggest giant is the fear of man. There's, there's multiple, obviously, but... It's just part of it. So, so basically what it is, it's the enemy is fighting for your attention. What you pay attention to grows. And so we wake up in the morning and media, the enemy, humans, the fear of man, God, 
what do we give our attention to? And what you pay attention to grows. Joshua and Caleb come back. Hey, look, there was the promise. There was also these giants. And what are we going to pay attention to? And there's always these options. Listen, this should relax. This shouldn't create anxiety. This should relax you. There are always going to be giants. It's part of God's design. So you can just... It's not break. It's just, man, there's giants. We're moving forward. As we're moving with God, there's giants in the promised land. I'm not talking about God giving people cancer. I'm not talking about miscarriages. Please understand. I'm not talking about kill, stealing, and destroying. I'm talking about accurate pressure to, for you to instill things in you to withstand making it to the promised land. So this fear of man thing is a really big deal. So I've, as I said, I have a PhD in this. So I, I've born and raised like five miles down the road. Um, and I, I grew up with an incredible amount of anxiety. Uh, it, um, just a lot of demonic activity around me when I was young. Um, just torment. I had panic attacks on a regular basis. I was scared to not, I was scared to not be around my mom. Um, I mean, I wouldn't spend the night in anyone's house. I had to, it was, it was just bizarre. Like, not normal kid fear stuff. I mean, like, very extreme anxiety behavior as a child. Um, I had, like, special clauses in my, like, recess time so I could see my mom. Like, it just, it, it was extreme. And I, I know what it feels like to have so much anxiety. Um, when I was young, I had a prophetic word from a prophet named Bob Jones, um, just really well um, accredited, awesome prophet. He he actually prophesied over me. He said, "You're going to battle anxiety." Now we teach here at our school of ministry. Don't say that. Uh, Bob's an old school prophet. He can do whatever he wants. Um, he he said they say you know, battle anxiety. You're going to overcome it, and you're going to help set people free from it. Said a couple other things in the prophecy too, which is pretty cool. So I just. For that to even be on me as a child and for someone to see it and be able to call it out like that, yet lead me to victory. So I get to high school. All of us deal with fear of man in high school, right? I mean, such a formative time. I bled over into everything I did, just being scared of everything. And I get to college, and it just I could not. I had just filled with anxiety. I had so much anxiety, just really, really cared what people thought. What do people think about me? It was just overwhelming. So the only thing I could think to do was to get on anxiety medication. So I'm like, I think it was like 20 years old, and I started some form of anxiety medication. And um, I remember I, I took, started taking it over the weekend. It was a Monday in class. I was in school, college. And someone walked into the room, and it was the first time, I don't know how else to explain this, it was the first time I just didn't think what that person thought about me. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh. It's, it's possible to not be frightened of what someone else thinks of me. And I remember being so jarring. Now, I'm not, I'm not against medication. I'm not against doctors, anything like that. Um, for me, and if, you, if you're on that and you're, you're in your own journey with God, do what you need to do. Uh, I, for me, it, it numbed me in a lot of ways where I, I didn't like it. But what it did allow me to do, I took it for about six months, it allowed me to see that 
if a, if something in medicine can t- shift the way, can lower my anxiety, I have self control. I have a sound mind. I have the Holy Spirit. God, I I know that God can do this. <laughs> so shifted out of that season and really started conquering the fear of man. And so my twenties free from it relatively. And so what started happening is, as God started putting me in new seasons, as God started shifting things in my life, as God started promoting me or um, changing what was going on and, and giving me a new realm of influence, every single time there was giants in the land, a fear of man. See, if, if, it's, if it's a fear and you don't face the fear, the enemy's won. You're not advancing. Are you with me? So you you conquer a level, and you want to go to the next level. There's giants in the promised land. So every level that I go to, there's a new realm of the fear of man. So, for example, starting a church. Starting a church is bizarre, to say the least. It's basically like starting a company from behind the scenes. But you mix in emotion, spirituality, people's expectation of what a pastor is supposed to be inner healing, manifestations of the Holy Spirit based on a, a book that seems contradictory to itself, the Bible. I mean, just this is a bizarre dynamic. And then we want God to come into the room and he's invisible. I mean, this is a strange. And then it's biblical for you to give the church money. Bizarre. I mean, right? Amen? I don't know who tithes, by the way, so that wasn't a tithe joke. Um I don't know. If, I don't know who tithes at all. So just so everyone knows, that's that's the board. The board may be judging you, but I'm not. Um, but it's just bizarre. And on top of it is, a lot of people have an opinion about how their church should be run. A lot of people have opinions about church. Well, we should do church like this. And so for Stacy and I, early on, it was a lot of fear about. Well, we feel like God has said this. And we want to stay devout in this area. And the pressure of people wanting things, the pressure of people leaving the church, um, circumstances take place where it's like, are we, are we doing the right thing? And ultimately centering back to God to say, this is what God has told us to do. This is what we're going to do. Are you with me? Every level, there's a new level of fear of man. And so recently I've... Um, started my own business. I started a consulting company. Long story short, I really want to really believe that the church is a place where you encounter God, you get tools supplied to you, and then you go out and be salt, light, and leaven. And I believe that for myself, too. Um, I'm not saying that's for every pastor. That's just just my desire. It's just who God's made me to be. And so I, I believe that people congregating and providing a service or good, which is a company or an organization, kind of fuels the economy. That's important to me. Louisiana was number 50 um, on McKinsey Consulting just recently did a giant study and Louisiana ranked last and is the worst place to live of all the states. And I'm never leaving Baton Rouge again, and so that ticks me off. I'd like for that to change. Are you with me? So business makes an economy thrive. And so I enjoy, you know, business is a bunch of people getting together. And so having a culture or an organization where people are thriving is very important. And so I've started a company where I'm trying to do that. 
Um, and it's this whole new wave of the fear of man. See, here's, I've had two jobs going now for four years being back in Baton Rouge. Are you guys with me? Okay. One is Cedar House, which I've just been like face down, making it happen the best I can. And then the other is I have a, I have a job outside of the church as well. And I'm, I'm just in these two little bubbles. And so with this new company, which I feel like God has told me and Stacy to do, that I'm now, I'm out networking. I have to meet people. It's, it's this whole new vulnerable experience again that the fear of man is just coming in waves at me because it's God gave me a promise and told me what to do and I need people's approval to add value. That is a hard heart posture to keep without shifting into the fear of man. Are you with me? Okay. So... One thing that's been popping up in my life, I wanted to just drop this in the bucket for you. I think this is relevant for everyone in the room. Is um, the fear of man is the root of the political spirit. Jesus talked to us in three different times in the Gospels. He referred to the political spirit. This is the way he put it. He said, be aware of the leaven of the Sadducees and the Pharisees or of the leaven of Herod. Sadducees and Herod represents the political system and the political climate that was going on in Jesus' day. Are you with me? The, the leaven of the Pharisees is the religious spirit. I did a three-week series on the religious spirit um, like six months ago. It's online if you're curious on that, but just for the sake of the political spirit. Jesus knew if this way of thinking gets into your thoughts it shifts where you don't live a kingdom life and you're living out of response to man. Okay, so this is what the political spirit is. <clears throat> I will adjust who I am. I will adjust my morals or my standard to get something from you, to manipulate or try to get favor from another because I've changed who I am, that's the political spirit. When I'm, this is when networking gets really, really gray. So what happens is in the political spirit, I start adjusting who I am so this person will like me. I start adjusting who I am. I'm a little different with this person so this person will like me. And eventually I'm completely divided and I'm a puppet. And, and honestly, it's in the political climate, any, I mean, you can be running for a school office. You see this, right? This political climate thing, it's shifty. Um, the political spirit is very, very worried about being guilty by association. I don't want my image involved with this person, so I'm going to cut them off. That's the political spirit. Okay, Jesus called Herod, who was the political leader in the day when Jesus was on earth, he, he referred to him one day as a fox. Now, to be clear, Jesus honored those in authority. So I'm just, just to be clear, I'm not trying to make this political conversation while talking about the political uh, spirit. He honored authority consistently. We should pray for our leaders. doesn't matter what you think or believe. We need to be devout and praying for our president, vice president, everyone in charge doesn't matter, left or right, that if you're a believer, that trumps being left or right. 
and you need to be praying for our leaders. Jesus called Herod, he referred to him as a fox. And the word comes from being sly or shifty. See, Herod had an opportunity to free Jesus, but the people voted against it. He felt like he should let, this is killing Jesus. This is a big moment. This isn't like what Burger King or Chick-fil-A, which you should always choose Chick-fil-A because we're Christians, right? <laughs> Christians have to love Chick-fil-A. He, due to popular opinion, he shifted his standard and let them kill Jesus. I was uh, one day, about four years ago, I was, at a, uh, I was early one morning praying with a couple people, and I looked out the window and I saw a fox this was, this was on some acreage, so it was a long thing. I saw a fox, worship's going on. I see a fox run out the woods. I mean, it was like three acres, just really quiet and kind of like a fake movie scene or something. And the fox just kept going, and it ran into the other set of woods. And I felt so strongly that God was telling me, like, you've gotten political. Like, you've, you're, you're, we can't use our personality to say, like, well, I just wanted peace in a situation. See, this, this is what it is. We're scared of conflict. We're scared of ruffling feathers. We're scared of peace. And so sometimes we shift who we are just to have calm. Now, sometimes that's right. But a lot of times that's the political spirit. Are you with me? So we can't fall into this thing of changing who we are because of the fear of man. Okay? All right. Now, avoiding the political spirit. Now, here's kind of the other side of it. We are built for... The economy is built off of people adding value to each other's lives. And we need one another. Right? Like, I'm not saying disregard human beings' feeling, be a jerk, and just do exactly what God tells you to do. Okay? There is, there is some grace involved in this process, but you know when your heart is not... You get the internal difference, right? When you're doing something out of kindness versus fear and calling it loving someone. Are you with me? This shift of heart? Okay, this is an internal issue um, that we're dealing with. But we are built for one another. So one of the things that we really practice here is honoring someone and celebrating people. So here's... Something I want to highlight. When I, so you can look at it like this. When I honor you, honor affirms. Honor affirms and establishes. When I honor a gift on Shane's life, or JP's life, or Leah's life, I'm, I'm affirming them, and I'm helping them feel established. But they, you're supposed to get your direction from God. See, if you're looking for other people to give you direction, you will fall into the fear of man. You'll start living by the prey. You'll adjust your emotions with how people think and see you. Okay, I hope this is making sense. You get your direction from God. You get your, affirm, you get your identity from God and you move. But as a community, when we honor one another, honor is helping establish and affirm what God's already started. God does it, and our honor helps build up. I see the anointing on someone's life, and I honor that gifting. That's affirming and establishing what God has done. So I'm not saying disregard 
humans in, in this process of getting free of man. So there's, there's two basic ways that um, what I felt like today was supposed to share and then really want to go into some kind of intense prayer time. Um, I, I'm all about the prayer. Um, we serve a miracle. I, I think God wants to heal everyone all the time. I think God is a right now God. I think he's a miracle-working God. I live with the conviction that right now, all the time, is what God wants to do. So please don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. But God also loves the journey of walking through a process with us. So this is, this is what I felt like what he impressed on me. Baby steps. Baby steps to overcome the fear of man. When you, when you walk into a situation and you can feel that thing... God has said something to you, and you're worried about what someone else thinks. In that moment, just pause. Take baby steps. You don't have to go zero to 100 in this journey. Amen? I, um, I, we, Stacy's grandmother, sorry, my children's grandmother, Stacy's mom, has a pool we take the girls to all the time. And Penny is my third daughter. She, uh, they get so excited to run on the concrete, but they forget that in the summer it's so hot and they run out with no shoes on and then they, they realize what they've done and they just, it's so hot and they don't know what to do. You know what I'm talking about as kids? She gets out of the pool the other day. I'm like from here to the back of the church. And she gets out of the pool and it's, she feels it getting hot. She just looks at me and she's about to cry, but the water was falling enough off of her to where it like made the ground not as hot. So she, she kind of figured out what was going on. And I just said, Penny, just walk to the grass. And she just stopped and looked at me like, I'm not moving. <laughs> like, all this is hot. So I just walk up to her. This is, I, she holds my, I put my hand out. She holds it like that. I just put my hand out and I just like walked her 10 feet. She hit the grass and she was totally fine. And I just felt like God impressed on me like, that's okay. Like in this, pro- just, I'm stopping God. I don't know what to do. I'm emotional. There's fear. Baby steps. Amen? Okay. And the second thing, ultimately the fear of man is a lack of trust in God. It's not fully believing that God's going to do what he said he was going to do. This is the main issue of of the fear of man. It's, It's basically fearing God. It's not fearing God and it's fearing man. And it's a trust issue. So here's the thing. God has put the dream on your life that you want, and he wants it more than you do. So in my recent example, I feel like God has told us to do something, and it's step-by-step journey. He wants it more than I want it. I don't need to stress about it. And what happens is the more I stress about it, the more I'm telling God, I don't trust that this will happen. I don't trust that we'll get to the promised land. Okay, so you need, put it this way, Jesus grew in favor with God and man. Jesus needed favor with man. But Jesus never shifted who he was or was frantic about it. He let God promote him in the right season. You with me? Jesus fully trusted and God positioned him in places for promotion and influence. Amen? Jesus wasn't frantic and, oh my gosh, I have to have favor with everyone I'm around. God did it for him. All he needs is a willing heart. All right? 
Okay. I want to, I'll close with this. So, ultimately, my life is not about me. And your life is not about you. It's for everyone around you. We, you are put in community to serve the person around you. So the favor and anointing on your life is for my benefit. And the gifting on <clears throat> this person's life is for this person. It's, it's, it's just the way it is. Jesus modeled serving. All the breakthrough Jesus had was for everyone around him. And we can't afford, I can't, if I love you, I can't afford to live by the fear of man because I won't reach my kingdom potential. And then I can't serve you. That's, that's not a he- I'm not taking that on as a heavy thing. I'm saying as a responsibility. Like, if you can become who you're supposed to become in God, that serves everyone around us better. But the fear of man cripples that process. And finally, who really cares what anyone else thinks anyway? Right? One of, uh, in the school, we went over this a couple times, but your opinion really isn't that important. And it doesn't really matter. And as soon as you realize it's okay to not have an opinion about something, the quicker peace typically comes. And how people have an opinion about something on your life, it doesn't matter. Like, if someone doesn't like something you've done and they put it on social media, like, you know, someone's just like, well, what about this? It's like, just don't be that person. Can we do that? Can you not join into like a conversation on social media and throw jabs? Am I the only one that that bothers? Are you the jab throwers? Is that the problem? JP's a jab thrower? No. Um, it just it doesn't matter. Um, ultimately, it's okay if someone disagrees. Jesus walked the perfect Christian life, and they killed him. So this isn't looking too good for us. We're, we're pursuing that. Um, no, I don't think anyone's going to kill us. But um, okay, I want to um, let's pray. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cedarhousechurch.com.